By the cheap revolutionary, it is commonly supposed that imagination is a merely rebellious thing, that it has its chief function in devising new and fantastic republics. But imagination has its highest use in a retrospective realization. The trumpet of imagination, like the trumpet of the resurrection, calls the dead out of their graves. In spite of all revolutionaries, it must be said that the function of imagination is not to make strange things settled so much as to make settled things strange, not so much to make wonders facts as to make facts wonders. D.K. Chesterton. This is the Redeemed Imagination Podcast, a podcast of the Anselm Society on reenchanting the church. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of the Redeemed Imagination podcast. My name is Brian Brown, and I'm your host, along with Father Matt Burnett, Heidi White, Lancia Smith, and Joel Clarkson. And today we're going to be talking about the central question of everything that we're doing here, uh, which right. is, what is the imagination? I think all of us will probably have a, a funny story or two over the course of things, because uh, you get... Well, one thing we hear a lot is, I'm not creative, I'm an engineer. And you get, uh, oh, imagination, fantasy, right. Lord of the Rings, fairy tales, or simply uh, imagination, viewing things from the perspective of um, spending a lot of time thinking about things that don't really exist. Huh. One point of frustration I hear uh, a lot from, from artists is an attitude they've had. Maybe it was from parents, maybe it was from... Um, someone in the church, maybe it was their entire church, where where they felt like that person or that group's entire um, approach to things imaginative was to be the repressive force, the force uh, saying that's not real. Uh, the people who 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 wanted to, uh, without getting uh, too controversial right away, uh, <laughs> who, who who worked a lot harder trying to make sure you knew that Santa Claus wasn't real right. than they did helping you to realize how Santa Claus was true. Amen. And uh, one thing that we're going to do as we delve into questions of what the imagination is and is not, um, our, our central question really is not just what is the imagination, but why does it matter? And fundamentally, why should it matter for everyone? And what we'll do in this episode and the next few episodes, as you get to know us, um, is we will have a featured host each episode. And uh, I have encouraged that host to be uh, particularly prolific with uh, personal stories <laughs> and anecdotes. Um, and so today we're going to get to know uh, Heidi White a little bit better over the course of our conversation, which is not to say, Heidi, that you have to uh, jump right in and be the first one to say anything. But let me just throw it out there. Uh, let's start with this. What is not the imagination? What is not the imagination is probably something that you're thinking through in a logical sequence that you can control and measure. I think I'm interested in the question of what is not merely the imagination. Say Meaning, on. It's a better way to say that. So what you brought up, Brian, of kind of a, a general tendency to separate imagination from logic or to separate imagination from spiritual things or real things, right? Um, 
I think, I don't want to speak for everybody, but we do tend to have more of a Lewis slash Augustine slash platonic idea of the imagination that it is, it includes all of those things and encompasses all of those things. That imagination is not subordinate to reason, uh, but in many ways transcendent over it. Absolutely. Right. That imagination is uh, the way that we make sense of the world. Lancia, you had a really good Lewis quote about that that you said earlier. Will you share that with us? Sure. He says, Lewis says that for him, mm-hmm. he doesn't say that it's true for everybody, but for him, reason is the faculty or the organ of truth. And that imagination is the organ of meaning. Meaning is value. This is how we make sense of everything and why anything matters. So really you think of imagination, it's actually um, the universal translator for our experiences, the things that we sense, all the things that we read, the, the things that we take in for information, for storytelling. I mean, what do stories mean if you don't have the imagination to attach them to to a value system they don't have significance other than entertainment when they become true is when we're able to attach them to a value system and find some way to emulate what we're hearing that's the power of imagination it's actually the translator that allows us to understand how we inhabit what we have learned yeah, and in that sense, it's important to say that imagination isn't escapism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a matter of fact, thinking about you know sort of the the classical critique or the particularly in the twentieth century of the things that we might associate with imagination, creativity and myth and things like that, as sort of escaping from reality. Without imagination, actually, um, we are in danger of escapism because imagination is how we as you say, Lancy, root, root our understanding of reality by giving it meaning. And so imagination is actually the opposite of escapism. Imagination mm-hmm. is helping us understand reality uh, more fully. It's our vehicle for engagement. And the more that we are developing our capacities for imagination, the more that we're able to actually uh, engage with reality. Amen. I think that's true. And to make this embodied and to take it from being an abstract conversation to something that actually happens in a person's life. Uh, I remember as a child reading the Anne of Green Gables series for the first time. I've probably read it 250 times at this point. So um, my daughter's listening to it right now on Audible. She just listens to it all the way through. She listens to Anne of Green Gables and then Harry Potter and then Anne of Green Gables and then Harry Potter. And I feel like she's having a delightful childhood. <laughs> um, when I read that as a child, I was lonely. It was a very sad and lonely time in my life. And this book gave me a framework through which to expect goodness and beauty from the world. Mm-hmm. The way this lonely little orphan girl is uh, becomes a member of a family and a community is attached to the natural world, learns how to love, uh, reads great books and writes and lives an ordinary life in a transcendent way. I expected that I would be like Anne because I read these books. They were Mm -hmm. a baptism for my imagination. 
Uh, they're not overtly Christian fables. They are just books about an ordinary girl who loves goodness, truth, and, and beauty. Mm-hmm. And that was formative yes. to me. So all the things we're talking about actually meet with real life, uh, often in childhood, but we can continue to form our imaginations throughout our whole lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think in that sense, um, it's a widening of, of our ontological awareness, or in other words, it's a widening of what we believe to be true. And imagination allows us to sort of, especially through what you're talking about, Heidi, through the story form, we, we widen for a, a time, the capacity of what we believe to be true, we enter into that space. And within that space, we're able to align ourselves with that story, get into the story and allow the story to, to sort of uh, form, uh, form us uh, and shape us. And in that sense, the imagination is kind of a muscle. And, and the more mm-hmm. that we engage uh, that muscle, the more we strengthen its capacity to, to actually sort of contextualize the known. Because in a sense, the things that we are, what we, what we, what we really live into in our lives, the things that we engage with, really are that, that make our lives meaningful, uh, are not tangible. Uh, they're intangible. They're um, looking at a beautiful sunset or exercising. We can see a few sort of things that are maybe results of them, but a lot of these elements have sort of an intangible nature to them. Virtue certainly, um, we we sort of engage with them for reasons beyond it always an exact sort of uh, quantifiable or measurable results. And, and uh, in a sense, when we try to look for a quantifiable result, we actually lose what's the impulse of, of, of charity or patience or humility, which is that it's, it, we have this internal intrinsic sense that it's the right thing to do. And so imagination is part of what helps us to get there, to get past the fact that, that, we, that we operate in these intangibles and actually root that intangibility in our reality so we can enact it. Yeah. And we, I mean, you, there, there are certain um, mental health conditions that, that actively depress uh, the imagination in, in, in this sense. And, and there, there have been studies where, where people can tell you exactly what uh, right and wrong are in a very specific um, uh, circumstance and can tell you, uh, all the right answers, and on some level, on a, some rational uh, level, in, in the traditional sense of the word rational, uh, understand everything, and yet, because they cannot muster up the sense of revulsion at the idea of, say, murdering their parents, right. uh, there have been instances where they were in the study, they said, yes, I would totally do that. And there have been actual court cases where someone has actually done uh, and, and you can also see it in, in, in conversations where you're, you, you, you come charging out of a, a book you've finished or a movie or TV show you've just encountered and you just want to tell someone about it. And, and there's, and, and, and it's meant something to you in the way that Anna Green Gables, Heidi meant something to you. And you just, you, you, you retell the story or you dump it out on somebody and, and they sort of say, so what? Right. And that the incredible frustration of, of the mm-hmm. feeling of somebody else not grasping the meaning in that mm-hmm. to that thing when you were mm-hmm. you grasp the meaning because because imagination is the so what mm-hmm. yes father matt you you you'll bring this up in sermons from time to time this mm-hmm. idea of the really real i want to get back mm-hmm. to that because we sort of teed it up for you there uh <laughs> that imagination is not escapism it's actually um part of 
the way through a doorway into a greater reality. Uh, can, can you talk about that a little bit? Um, yeah. Imagination. You asked an interesting question at the beginning. Let me just do a quick, see if we can make a connection. Or maybe not. It may not work. <laughs> um, <laughs> Use your imagination. But, uh, right. <laughs> Be imaginative. Exactly right. Yeah. Um, you actually want not imagination. And I thought that was interesting. My, my head kind of went to Augustine's uh, definition of evil, which is, not, which is not Same. its own thing, but a lack of good. So I think theologically and in our faith anyway, which is sort of, you know, the wheelhouse where I live, where I live my head. Um, I wonder if we, we live not so much doing things that aren't imagination, but without imagination. Do you see that it's the lack? It's not something different from imagination. It's a lack of imagination. And that then sort of flattens everything out. And so when we can prime the pumps of our imagination and stimulate our imaginations, and then, um, then again, here's, here's the stuff. And then we can reinvigorate theology, which I'm going to define as the study of the character of the one we love the most. Um, and then renew our faith, our personal faith, kind of this head and heart. And we, we love him with knowledge and we love him. I'll say it emotionally, right? We love God as, as fully integrated people. But I think there's, there's the peace to be more fully integrated as humans and i.e. open up our imaginations more. And I think there are ways to do that, especially through literature, right? Art, especially art primes our imaginations such that when we're now sort of open and loving things anyway, we now look over here at theology and we go, whoa, that's beautiful. That's not, that's not dry and, and boring and pedantic. And then we look at Jesus and we go, wow, he is beautiful, right? And so mm, those are some of the connections I think work with imagination and faith. Well, and the idea of the really real yeah. is super important to imagination. As Chesterton said in the quote that we read at the beginning of this episode, he calls imagination the retrospective realization, which I love that. Those are, it might be a bit of an abstract concept, but what he's saying is what we remember forms our imagination, retrospective realization of the reality of the world, right? And the world is, was created good, it is fallen, and it's redeemed by a great sacrificial love. And that's the story of all art. All good art tells that story in some form of another, whether it's Anne of Green Gables or a beautiful symphony or a poem or painting. Uh, that is the reality, the fundamental reality of the world. And art gets there. And art forms the imagination towards the really real, which is that story, that narrative of reality. I mean, in that, in that sense, isn't, um, yeah. could we say that a, a conversion hmm. is at least the vast majority of the time, uh, an act of imagination? Yes. I mean, once in a while you might have somebody who's just rationally convinced that this guy 2000 years ago died and rose from the dead and all of the things that go along with that. But most of the time, isn't it? Isn't the connection point where you are it's an moved imaginative by the experience. act of love yes. and, and, and grasp in, the, in that sense its connection to you? When you thought that there was no God, now you are imaginatively open to the idea that maybe 
there's more to the world than what you thought there was. That's an act of the imagination. Yes, that's a redemption of the imagination. imagination. Yeah, I think our conversion, I think our imaginations become full and redeemed as a result of the Holy Spirit's work of of conversion. I'm not sure an an imagination can cause a conversion. Um, No, that's not what I was suggesting. So, yeah, I mean, take someone. But it's important to clarify that. But but Mm -hmm. so then at at conversion, then we all of us, every part of us is is redeemed. And in the process then of 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 being all that God would have us be right sanctification, including our imaginations. What I find is, for whatever reason, and I think Charles Taylor nails it. So go read Charles Taylor. Um, or better yet, go G- read Smith. He's 100 pages and Taylor's 700 pages. Which Smith are you talking um, about? There's J.K.A. Smith. Okay, there you go. Yep. James K. Jamie Smith. Smith. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go read his mm-hmm. condensing. So once though we we are converted, right, regenerated, made new, mm-hmm. brought in, made a child of God, given a new family story and a new family resemblance, then we have this capacity, I think, to open up our imaginations more and more to everything that's around us, including our relationship with God. I also think of it as, as something that's reflected in many of um, uh, uh, thinkers. I think of Bonaventure and the soul's journey to God. And, you know, he, he talks about, so he uses a lot of the, of, of that to sort of set up the way that the intellect, we, we sort of hold the object of, of curiosity at a distance and observe it, but that ultimately the, the soul's journey to God uh, involves <clears throat> drawing close, encountering, having an affective engagement and the end of this. And he sort of, he sort of places this in the context of the cross because the, it's a, it's a tangible image for him. That is an example of dying to the desire to set ourselves at a distance and being willing to, to let our intellects sort of step into, step uh, within the, the space of, of engagement. This is where art is so powerful because art is what allows that journey. And, um, and I think that's why he's, he uses this image of the cross. And he says, uh, therefore, let us die and step into the darkness. Let us put on silence with its cares. Let us pass over to, together with Christ crucified from this world to the Father. Uh, and by saying, with the Father, it suffices for us. So he's, so he's trying to give this very, even through the way that he's writing this, this sort of, uh, he's trying to sort of open up our creative sensibilities to imagine, to sort of uh, think of this of, of this moving close and encountering. And I think that that that's both something that happens in conversion, but is also, as you say, Father Matt, part of our sanctification. So if art plays that role for us, if art allows us uh, in different forms to, to draw close and encounter, to draw close and touch and see and taste and feel and hear, um, then art actually helps us to put our imaginations to use in, drawing close to God. I kind of wonder a little bit about, too, when we think about imagination. I see this so much where we think of imagination as being fundamentally almost synonymous with art. But Uh imagination is far more than that. And I've seen some very remarkable Mm -hmm. expressions of imagination in areas of intellectual disciplines in terms of science in terms of engineering, um, architecture also, which architecture is one of those things that sort of bridges between, you know, the realities of math and um, art. But imagination is something I think that 
it includes more disciplines and more expressions than just artistic expressions in terms of disciplinary uh, development. Um, and that's important because for people who feel that they're not artistic, they assume that means that they also aren't imaginative. And that's not really true. I mean, they wouldn't be able to derive a sense of, Could. of um, significance to even even virtues without some understanding and engagement with imagination as a faculty. Because virtue is so abstract. Could we say that perhaps part of the challenge of people not perceiving themselves as having artistic or creative capacity is because we've delimited that um, yeah. too much uh, that, that we have yes. sort of said there's there's a narrow a very narrow way and so in that sense the connectivity between artistry and imagination doesn't need to be put into odds they don't those two things don't need to be put into odds with each mm -hmm. other but rather we should widen the sense of, of what it means to engage yeah. in in the creative process and how imagination is in a sense a creative process yeah. engaging with our imagination is allowing us to move and into there's and, and you see this uh, i mean the some of the developments of the the late Middle Ages, you start to see this uh, a little bit less of this attitude that, that Father Matt mentioned, where imagination isn't this is, it isn't a category of thing that you either do or don't. It's it's in the nature of everything. everything. And yeah, uh, and you start to see uh, with some of the yeah. late scholastics a little bit more of a category approach to things, where you have philosophy that explains everything in the natural mm -hmm. world, and then theology that picks up where that leaves off to explain all the stuff you can't explain rationally. Um, not to suggest, you know, they certainly didn't suggest that theology was irrational, just that they were they were things that complemented each other, but were in fact distinct, uh, as opposed to um, blending into each other in the way that imagination does. Imagination is always creative, but mm. I don't think that means that it's always artistic. Right. And well, so you see this with John John Lennox. I mean, is, is, yes, is a great absolutely. Uh, articulator of this idea that if you think religion and science uh, don't uh, are, are at odds, right. you're missing a huge thing about the character of both. Mm -hmm. um, he's right. not talking about imagination specifically, yeah, but what yeah, he's really talking about is 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 uh, the breaking down of the categories a little bit in such a way that you don't view science as a, this wholly left brain thing. It's totally divorced from the right brain. It's totally divorced well, from how imagination. Could it be? Because science is the study of the creation of God, and creation is actually the act of a creator, mm -hmm. the act of an artist. So, in understanding the nature of things, the nature of the world, and then applying that to make something, some kind of artifact out of that, whether it's scientific or technological or architectural or artistic, those are all of a piece. They come from the imagination. It's incarnational. It's an incarnation. Absolutely. And so to yes. see imagination as, you know, um, maybe it's the empowering, maybe it's in, I wouldn't go so far as to say imagination is the vehicle for incarnation, but you can't really truly incarnate much if you have not exercised imagination on some level, including evil. Absolutely. Because you, you don't, you don't incarnate from rational thought alone. There has to be a transference of going from a concept into something physical. And that transference of an idea into physical requires some kind of a bridge.
some sort of bloodline, something that carries it. And if we can look at that and start to make friends more with the concept of imagination so that it's not so much a potentially scary or dangerous thing, because I think many Christians see it as dangerous because you can't really control it. I mean, it's you can control your rational thinking. Right. Imagination is not so much. And if it's not controlled by the virtue of your spirit and your character, then it can lead you places that are not wholesome right. and, and good. Well, I was thinking of Eustace Clarence Scrub, who read all the wrong kinds of books. <laughs> exactly. Right? So the books that he read were completely utilitarian. Right? They were books right. that... that separated that create a false dichotomy between technology and science and the nature of things disconnected it from any kind of transcendence right he never read right. about dragons he never read he never even heard of dragons when he was turned into one that is such <laughs> a fable for the impoverished imagination and that happens in america all the time i i know that brian you said don't didn't want to start out too controversial right up front, but I'm going to go for it. The, Amer <laughs> the average American <laughs> child raised in the church is very emotionally and imaginatively impoverished. We've got to be reading stories to our kids, taking them to symphonies, taking, hearing sacred music, uh, painting, going outside. These are the things that are the right kinds of books. I'm doing in air quotes, right? So that we don't raise Eustace, clear and scrub. When you tell a child that a fantasy story is a lie, that is, that's, that's wrong. That's actually just immoral. And I know we're talking to listeners who are reading to their kids and take, uh, taking them to all these things. So I'm affirming you keep doing that and do it for yourself too. Absolutely. Because the imagination Absolutely. must be baptized. It must be made sacramental and oriented to, to, to the really real. And if I may just sort of add to that, um, I think that this may answer the question of what Lancia brought up as well about the, you know, sort of the perceived danger of what imagination can do without the grounding of the exact right. known and sort of the exact quantified. And I think that if in a Christian sense, um, what is it that the center of our faith that we always have to return to is not an idea. That's right. It's a, it's, it's a reality. It's a person. It's the person of Christ. And that is, that is the center point. That is the, uh, that is the sun around which everything yes. else orbits when yes. it comes to the conversation around imagination, because Christ is the embodied, he is the image of the invisible God. And, and he, he, is uh, for us the manifested expression of of this idea, this word made flesh, and so I think in that sense, that's that that is what uh, it, rather than sort of backing away from the affective experience of imagination and fearing that because it is a, it is it does carry us sort of you know it carries us beyond uh, the quantified. I think that when it is through the it is through the the catalyst of Christ. That is what what roots us and moves us in in the right direction. And there's a lot more that could be said about this. Uh, um, Heidi, you mentioned mm -hmm. sacramentality, and I think that may be very much at the center of it. Because if we're talking about story, we're talking about 
um, narrative, then our story is something that we have lived out for us through um, the, the tradition of the liturgy in the church. It, it's, and, and so when we go into these other stories and we have this rooting of encountering Christ in, uh, in uh, both the, the liturgy of worship and then we go out into the world, we see resonances mm-hmm. of that true myth uh, constantly echoing when, when we come to those stories. So um, it's a little bit like taking, starting with Eustace Scrub and going to the end of, of Don Treader, right. of course. There's a, there's a moment in which at, um, character, character Aslan is speaking to the children and he says, you have to come to know me mm-hmm. uh, as I am in your world. And, and so it's not a denial. It is a, a transformation of um, what, what is known into something even more beautiful because we've come to love it in these, in these other spaces. I want to push on this, um, this, this idea of imagination being in everything a little bit further because um, there's, it, I think it could be easy to walk away from the, the little snippets we get about Eustace and the voyage of the Dawn Treader and, and, and see it as, as a child who's been raised with no imagination. Um, when in fact he's been raised with a malformed imagination. Absolutely. Um, so one question I have for, for you guys mm-hmm. is um, there, I mean, I'll throw it out as a, as a premise. There is no such thing as engaging life, engaging anything without imagination. Um, mm-hmm. Therefore um, not to make it too binary, but you can do it uh, better or you can do it worse um, at the extremes. You can do it well, or you can do it poorly. Um, what, what, what do you see as um, common stories or common uh, symptoms of the malformed imagination? Heidi used the example of uh, children in the church, and I know you've probably got uh, examples up your sleeve from your, your teaching experience as well. Not to, not to pick on you specifically. No, but. I like it. I could talk about this forever. <laughs> yeah, so my field is education, and I'm a homeschooler. And I teach and I work with teachers on how to teach literature. And one thing that I encounter all the time is the question of, are we lying to our kids? Is, are these stories lies? And if they're written by, say, someone who's non-Christian, or of course, of course, every Christian parent's going to be willing to read the Chronicles of Narnia to their child. But are they going to read the fairy tales? Are they going to read them? Harry Potter. Yeah, Harry Potter, the pagan mythologies. Or even if you don't see, uh, if if you look at the way that the church has told many of the stories of its saints over the years, if you look at those stories and go, that clearly didn't happen that way. Right. Do you avoid that because it's a lie? Right. Or you perceive it to be a lie. Right. Yes. Or do we, I mean, do not hang sacred art in your church because it's from a tradition that's not your own, things like that. So um, I would say those stories are sacramental for the most part, with some exceptions. There are plenty of infernal stories or just bad art, um, which is how Eustace Clearance Scrub was formed. Uh, he did not encounter any great stories or great visual art. In fact, they were withheld from him on purpose because, you know, there was these ideas of a modern education, right? So 
leaving all that aside, the point is that our imagination is formed. We become what we behold. Amen. That is the truth about our imagination. They are so malleable all the way through our lives. What we take in is formative to us. And so because I work in classical education, I get people telling me all the time, I don't think I can teach this stuff to my kids because I never learned it. Just, just read it. Just look at it. Just behold it. You will become what you behold. So the point is, is that that underlying reality of the story that we were created good, that evil contaminated the world, and that we were rescued from that evil by a great and a sacrificial love is in fairy tales, is in pagan myths, Mm -hmm. is in plenty of secular stories, stories with magic. Uh, stories without real is more realistic stories. More that about. story exactly. That's in the Avengers, from the that's, Odyssey to the Avengers. That absolutely. is the story. Right. And the reason Marvel. that we keep right. creating and writing and retelling that story in art, whether we're Christians or not, is because that is the story of the world. It's whether story. we are Christians or not, that is the story. And so that's what our souls respond to. And when we have a baptized redeemed imagination we can recognize that story whether it's written by a christian or not and it will form us and that's what needs to be the ongoing education and discipleship of a human soul i tell you to drop your mic except yep. then the producer would have to <laughs> yeah, that sound. right that's <laughs> like preach it sister yeah, yeah i am like, preaching yeah. you should see my hand motions y'all uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> it's what, what i wonder what would happen I mean, we are formed by what we behold and the right or wrong, yeah. certainly insufficient books mm-hmm. will form us insufficiently. It, what an interesting thing to see if, um, after having become a dragon, if you said had gone back and read his old industry books, would he end up being like Peter and Latia Smith? Oh, no. <laughs> would, he, would he view industry as something creative, virtuous, yes. beneficial to mankind? And not just like he and Uncle Andrew, back in the magician's nephew, um, saw industry to be totally crass, self-oriented, and self-promoting. Wouldn't it be interesting for him to go back and read his old books having been a dragon? I don't know. I think exactly. that, that that kind of hits, though, on the essential point. Because imagination draws its very existence from the mind of Christ. And there is no more integrated human being than Christ, God, man, all the faculties that we are given that we don't yet know how to use, you know, that we're too broken or too sinful or too afraid to try, all those things that we spend our lifetimes being so carefully crafted by our Father, you know, to learn how to be able to do, all of that is bound up in the redeemed imagination, which is such a perfect title for what we do, looking at ways that we redeem that. But part of it is by taking what's great and powerful, those myths, the stories, and finding ways to translate those into living out our ordinary lives. I mean, how do you take beauty into uh, environmental consulting or construction? What's redemptive about working with accounting? What's what's beautiful about redeeming a really poor community that has little resources and little education? 
all of that is what we're made for. That's right. So if that, if, 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 if good answers to those questions reflect a redeemed imagination, uh, what is it that we're up against? Mm. What does an unredeemed imagination look like? What are the evidences of it in our culture? What are the evidences of it? I think perhaps more close to home uh, in, 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 in human beings. I think I would say in one sense, maybe the, a sign of, of, the, of the stunted imagination is the sort of notion that the most important thing about you is what you know or what you believe rather than what you have encountered or who you know, who, who has encountered you. And um, I think that, that you know, we've, we've certainly something we've talked about already uh, in this conversation, but um, you see this in education and you see it in the life of the church that um, if you can only sort of gain the, the knowledge of a particular set of ideas and then regurgitate those knowledge, that knowledge that you have, um, you have gained, that you have expressed yourself correctly, that you have sort of gained an education or you have grown in your faith, those things are valuable, but they're only valuable insofar as the knowledge you've gained has some sort of resonance. And the only way to have resonance in, in the Christian notion is to know Christ. Uh, it's just, it, it seems funny. It seems like we might be re repeating, but it's, it's, uh, it's, I think that the whole of the Christian life is being constantly reoriented in our comportment uh, to encounter God and to respond to him and engage with him. Uh, and, and so I think the sign of, of a stunted imagination is mm -hmm. knowing mm -hmm. everything and understanding nothing. Stunted imagination. Well, and I also think that another thing we're up against is a very utilitarian cast with which people meet the world. Like there are things to be done, right? I've spoken to many, I just recently had a conversation last week actually with a social justice advocate who deeply disagreed with the idea that children should be reading imaginative stories because it's useless. You know, it doesn't do anything, right? There's there's work to be done, people to be fed. That the kind of the idea of Hamaslav's hierarchy of needs, that you feed people and you clothe them and you make sure that they have a just environment before you nourish their imaginations. That's like the last thing. That's a luxury, right? So there is that perspective out there too, that we can meet with. But what's it all for? Let me give you a little. Um, this is a paraphrase of a quote from Chesterton, and so I don't. I'm not going to say it the way that he said it. Um, people don't even quote it the way he actually said it. It's from Tremendous Trifles. But when he talks about children first encountering evil, he mm -hmm. said children don't first encounter the concept of the bogey of monsters. By the fairy tales that their parents read to them, they know monsters all by themselves. That's right. Children know that they that evil exists from as soon as they are cognizant of the world around them. What literature does, or imagination that's well fed, an equipped imagination, is that it teaches a child that dragons can be killed. Yeah. That 
evil can be overcome by the St. George's um, or the, the champion. I mean, we most Americans don't know who St. George is, so that would be lost on us. But we understand, we understand who Thor is. Right. I mean, we understand now that we have figures, you know, in a modern myth that we've been given access to, you know, that evil can be overcome, that dragons can be killed. And so what's essential in this whole question is that if you teach Christians that imagination is dangerous, you make them powerless. That's exactly right. And that's one of the greatest disadvantages. The church has been hurt in so many ways by um, not being strengthened by imaginative people. But but we need to come alongside our own church leaders um, to support them in, in understanding that. And our church leaders can do the same for us. Um, it's more about being able to accept what God has given us and not to be blaming each other for the things that we're not, because we're not our enemy. The enemy is the enemy, and we need to be wiser. But one of the ways that we understand that we're not the enemy, that the enemy is the enemy, is imagination, because mm -hmm. it's the use of the imagination that makes us able to even see it as a strategy. And so looking at ways, you know, you're talking about ways that the imagination is stunted or the ways that we're hurt. Fear and shame of imagination itself is actually one of the indicators. If we're afraid to use it, we're afraid to draw significance and we're not modeling. I actually think about uh, Wendell Berry right now and uh, thinking about how do we, the, the sort of one of the challenges to imagination is to put imagination into use. It has to be not in this larger public sphere in which we sort of, especially because of social media, we're able to engage with more readily. We can see the problems, we can see the challenges, we can express our frustrations with the injustice. But without that sense of rootedness, without the eye to eye, the me and the you or the thou, as, as Martin Buber would say, I think, there's sort of, we've lost the capacity to put our imaginations into practice. You know, uh, Wendell yeah. Berry says that we all of us are dealing with two different sort of spheres. We're dealing with the with our private lives, in which we have very personal um, challenges and successes and curiosities and frustrations, and then we have the larger public sphere, which is which is mm. uh, sort of the culture writ large, the much larger mm. sort of picture that that we sort of enter into the public square, as it were. And, and he said, what's missing to mediate those two things in our society is community, this sense of the local uh, engagement that allows who I am as a, as a private person, as a soul, as somebody with, with um, capacities and with limitations, what I, what the, I, I mm -hmm. cannot be yeah. mediated to yes. this faceless public square without the without the knowing of my community mm. and that's the space in which imagination is put into place so that i think is one of the largest sort of uh, setbacks to imagination in our time is that we don't we want to you know he says mm. the public square can tell us all the things that we ought not to do it can give us a lot of sort of we can again we can articulate injustice but to know how to inculcate virtue to love one another to love our neighbors to in, enjoy beauty and happiness we need each other uh close at hand, the people who know us in that sense of community. And as this conversation goes on in, in future episodes, uh, we're going to, we're going to talk about a lot of things that, that 
touch on this. We're going to talk about um, the role of community in fostering the imagination, the idea that you're not supposed to be completely on your own as an island figuring out how to yep. uh, develop the right kind of imagination. Uh, we'll talk about uh, art versus sermons. What's, what's the role of formal education uh, versus the role of um, well, versus isn't really the right the right dynamic, but uh, the role of formal education versus all kinds of other ways of uh, of learning something, and how what's what should the interplay look like to develop a healthy imagination? Um, and uh, we'll get into a lot of these things first, though. Uh, the, the the next place that we've sort of been knocking on this door for uh, some time now uh, is is what about the Christian imagination? What does it mean to have a Christian uh, imagination? Does it mean that that Jesus is in every story. Uh, does it mean something else? Um, we've talked about, we've used this phrase, the redeemed imagination a lot of times. Uh, as we continue into our next uh, episode, uh, when you join us next time, we will talk about that question. What is the Christian imagination? What is the redeemed uh, imagination? Uh, for the rest of the Anselm Society Board, I'm Brian Brown, and we'll look forward to having you join us next time. <laughs>